Good morning. If you would, grab a Bible. Let's turn to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, where we'll begin this part of our worship service. Mark chapter 2. Good to see you this morning. We have a number of visitors with us. Thank you for being here. We are glad that you are here. I want you to feel welcome. And I just want to say, uh, for my part, I was thinking about this as we were singing. I want to say how much I appreciate just this opportunity. I don't know how often we say and think about how just an ordinary Sunday, the Lord's Day, we are a blessed people in that we have one another and we have a congregation that we can belong to where we can build each other up, show love for each other. And for my part, that uh, I know that you have asked me to speak and that you're ready to listen and to study the Bible with me, and that is an honor. And I just want to say something that sometimes probably goes unsaid. Thank you for your confidence in me and for honoring me by being able to, uh, by allowing me to lead you in this study. Thank you for that. I, I don't want to take that for granted because it is a blessing, and I appreciate you for it. I want to begin in Mark chapter 2 and verse 18. Mark 2 and verse 18. The text says, Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins." So the text says that John's disciples and the Pharisees' disciples are fasting, and they notice that Jesus' disciples do not fast. And so they challenge Jesus about it. And he explains it in an interesting way. What he says is, fasting is a sad, serious activity, and now is not a sad, serious time. He talks about it in terms of a wedding. If you look at the text there in verse 19, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. A wedding is not a sad occasion. In fact, usually at weddings we think, oh, we need to eat together. We're rejoicing. We share food because that represents a good time, the joyful time of there being a wedding. But verse 20, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast in that day. Now, in this analogy, Jesus is saying, I'm the groom, I'm here, the celebration is on. Now, the time will come when I go away, and then they will fast in those days. I want to spend a few minutes thinking about that with you this morning. I want to talk about why Christians should fast. I've been asked this question, particularly about the idea of us fasting as a congregation, a congregational fast. But I, I have to say, I have received a question or questions like this numerous times over the past several years, sometimes from people here, sometimes from people in other congregations, where people ask, well, should Christians fast? Is this something that's part of a Christian life? And I have worded the title the way I have deliberately. Most Christians are aware of the fact that there's a long biblical history of fasting, but that most of it is part of life under the law of Moses. And so many Christians argue that that's not a part of how Christians live. And I aim to dispute that this morning. I want to talk about why Christians should fast specifically. One of the challenges about talking about fasting is that in the Bible, it seems to be connected to special purposes. Something happens or we need something, and so we fast in order to ask for that or to pursue that. But 
It's not, for example, a regular part of our worship or something that we do on a regular basis. And so sometimes people get hung up on the idea that we don't have to fast, and so we just say, well, I'd rather not. After all, it's kind of unpleasant. So I want to talk about why Christians should fast, not because we must, but because we should, because there are blessings that come from it. But I have to say, the most common pushback I have received about fasting, and it happens almost every time the topic comes up among Christians, so much so that it's a bit astonishing, is that people flatly refuse to fast, as if it is something they could never do. And that is amazing to me. As American Christians, we acknowledge that we live in one of the wealthiest societies in history. We acknowledge that we have every kind of food we could ever want available for us at every moment of every day. We acknowledge also that we have extraordinarily high rates of obesity and all kinds of health problems that result from that. And then we turn around and act as if giving up even a single meal is a step too far. And that is amazing to me, even for religious purposes. No, we could not do that. So I aim to address that as well, that I believe we have a need for this. So let's talk about why Christians should fast. First of all, Christians should fast to grieve. There is a connection between fasting and sadness, grief, and mourning. You see that in our text here. Look again at verse 20. In verse 20, Jesus says this. He says, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. So there's a, no sadness when the groom is here and we're having the celebration and everything is good. And that's what Jesus is talking about. His disciples, in the time when he is here on earth, do not fast. Because why would they fast? There's no sadness. The groom is here. But when the groom is taken away from them, he says, then they will fast in that day. By the way, I believe that verse in itself is enough to prove the case that Christians should fast because he says there's a time coming when they will fast in that day. But the reason they fast is because they are grieving, because we don't have our Lord and Savior, our Master here with us. We miss Him. We wish He was here. Wouldn't it be better if Jesus was here with us? And we grieve the loss. In fact, I think there is a lot to say about that just itself. That we look at the world in which Jesus has already invaded and it is not yet renovated to what Jesus wants to do with the world. For example, the world is not fully in submission to him. As Mike talked about, there's still suffering and pain in the world. Our bodies are not yet redeemed and changed. And so Paul says we groan about that. We are in an in-between period and it makes us sad. And fasting is a way you express grief. That's what Jesus says about fasting. Throughout the Bible, this is kind of a natural response. When we are mourning, when we are upset about something, sometimes it's a grief thing. This is when David hears about the death of Saul and Jonathan. It says, Then David took hold of his clothes and tore them, and so did all the men who were with him. And they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan his son and for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel, because they had fallen by the sword. 2 Samuel 1, 11 and 12. So, there are some occasions that are sad beyond words. Haven't you ever felt completely inadequate to express the sadness you feel? Some news is so tragic that there are no words for it. Fasting is a way Bible people express that emotion 
that I am not just going to say, you know, I'm sorry that happened. Wish there was something I could do. It is instead they fast to say, I'm expressing grief in a way that's beyond what words could express. And Christians, Christians need to be in touch with the weighty, sad emotions of life. That there are things like that that we need to learn to live in. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And I especially want you to apply that idea to the idea that sometimes we need to be able to live with unpleasant emotions. I know that's hard. I know we don't like it. I know our culture teaches us not to do it. But there is precedent in Scripture for us to understand some things are not the way they should be. And fasting is a way of expressing that. This is uh, from the book of Amos 6. And I want you to notice how Amos equates... Oh, by the way, I need to do it on this side, right? Okay, sorry. Amos equates eating and luxury versus grieving. He says, Woe to those who lie on beds of ivory and stretch themselves out on their couches and eat lambs from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall who sing idle songs to the sound of the harp and like David invent for themselves instruments of music who drink wine and bowls and anoint themselves with the finest oils but are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. Do you see what's happening in the text? They are so at ease. They're stretching out on their couches. And they say, bring me that food. Bring me that one. And then they're playing around. You know, we're sitting around idly listening to music. And, you know, we're just doing whatever we feel like. Whatever makes us happy. But they're not grieved for the ruin of Joseph. Their nation is falling apart. And they just sit and say, bring me some more food. Do you see how inappropriate it is for us to take things that should be grieved and instead treat them with, Give me some more to eat. What Amos is saying is that very often living in luxury insulates us from what is wrong with the world. And we live in luxury, brethren. This is a text for us. Now our culture tries to convince us that we should be happy all the time. That if anything makes you feel in any way unpleasant, you just need to get it out of your life. Think about something better. Find some new friends. Go watch a comedy. Do something different because you should be happy all the time. Scripture tells us that there are some things that don't spark joy in our lives. They make us sad. And that we need to be able to live with that emotion. And fasting is a way we voice that something is seriously wrong. And we're going to live in that. But grieving is particularly warranted when we talk about sin This is 1 Samuel 7 and verse 6. It says, So they gathered at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. They fasted because we have sinned. We are sorry for what we have done. This is 1 Kings 21 after Ahab is rebuked by Elijah. When Ahab heard these words, he tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his flesh and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about dejectedly. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishpite saying, Have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? God sees that fasting, that response as humbling himself. And I have to say this, it's hard to say. It sure looks like Ahab has more willingness to fast and humble himself before God than we often do. Ezra says, as soon as I heard this, talking about the sin of the people and marrying outside the tribes of Israel, I tore my garment 
and my cloak and pulled hair from my head and beard and set a pole. Then all who trembled at the words of the God of Israel because of the faithlessness of the returned exiles gathered around me while I sat appalled until the evening sacrifice. And at the evening sacrifice, I rose from my fasting with my garment and my cloak torn and fell upon my knees and spread out my hands to the Lord my God. Do you think Ezra took that seriously? Pulling out his hair and his beard, tearing his clothes, fasting. Now you can see these are not structured fasts. They're not, hey, everybody, we're going to start this morning and we're going to end tonight. These are just raw emotional displays. They are reactions that when people realize they've done wrong, they don't feel like eating. It's not a time to eat. It's not a time to rejoice. It's a time to be sad. It's a time to deal with the problem. And fasting is a way that people grieve over the problem. Let me just say, when we talk about Christians in the New Testament, we have something like this. This is James 4, 7 to 10, which doesn't specify fasting, but it certainly does specify grief. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. There are times to be sad. James particularly seems to be aiming at Christians who are living wrong, and they need to be disciplined and rebuked for their sin. And he says it's time to be sad. Now, Christians should fast to grieve. This is challenging because we very often turn to food to make ourselves feel better. When, when you get down, don't you just have that impulse, that instinct to say, I'll go get some good food and somehow in eating that, it'll make my emotional state better. And that's precisely what fasting is attempting to avoid. We don't just want to feel better. We're not just going to turn to food. Instead, we're going to abstain from food to express that we are on board with God about something that is upsetting us because we see things from his perspective. Second, Christians should fast to ask for God's help. The idea here is that when we fast, we're showing God how serious we are about the thing we're asking for. That I'm so serious about this, everything else is on hold. I'm not going to eat anything. I'm not going to do anything else. I'm focused on this, and I need you, God, to hear me. I want to show you this from Isaiah 58. Behold, he says, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. In other words, he's saying you're not fasting and accompanying it with the right, with the right life. But he says, fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. And I underline that because that idea is the idea behind fasting when properly done is that we're, we're trying to make our voice heard on high. We want God to hear us. And so we accompany prayer with fasting to say, God, listen to me. I'm serious about this. I need this. And David fasts in this way. I want you to go with me over to 2 Samuel chapter 16. I'm sorry, 2 Samuel chapter 12. 2 Samuel 12. Now, when David does this, I want you to see the distinction he makes. He wants everyone to know he is not fasting to grieve. He is fasting to ask God's help. 2 Samuel 12, beginning in verse 16. Now, what is happening here is that David has sinned with Bathsheba, and a child has been born as a result of their union, and now the child has become sick, and David is praying to God and fasting so that God would spare this child. 2 Samuel 12 and verse 16. It says, David therefore sought God on behalf of the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. And the elders of the house stood beside him to raise him from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. 
Drop down to verse 20, after he discovers that the child is dead. Verse 20, then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. He then went to his own house. And when he asked, they set food before him and he ate. Then his servant said to him, what is this thing that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive. But when the child died, you arose and ate food. He said, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live. But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. So the servants are confused because David does this backwards in their view. He doesn't eat before the child dies, but, but what would normally be a, a response of grief. The child dies, and so you say, I'm not going to eat anything to grieve. Instead, David says, no, bring the food. And they say, well, what, what's going on? Why would you eat now? And he says, well, I was trying to ask God for his help. But when God says no, when it's a definitive no and the child dies, why should I keep fasting? I'm not asking God's help anymore. I'm not going to have him back, but I'll go to him. David says, when my appeal is denied, why should I fast? But the idea here is David is fasting to couple with his prayers to ask for the help of God. That's what he's doing. Now, there are lots of examples of this kind of fasting in the Old Testament. Like Ezra, who fasts before he goes on a journey from Persia to Jerusalem. And Nehemiah fasts, not only to mourn the sin of the people, but he also fasts because he knows he's going in before the king, and he wants God's help as he goes in before the king. Esther fasts and asks for the people to fast before she goes into the king, before she has the, the risking her life to go before the king and ask on behalf of the people. So, lots of people do this in Scripture, but I want to stress to you, Christians do this too. I want you to go with me to Acts chapter 13. Acts 13. Christians fast to ask for God's help. Acts chapter 13 is where we're going. Acts 13 and verse 1 says, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Acts 13 and verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So there's an abundance of teachers at Antioch is the idea. They're worshiping and fasting and serving together. And the Holy Spirit calls Barnabas and Saul to do a new work. Verse 3 says that specifically. After fasting and praying... They laid their hands on them and sent them off. Fasting and praying and laying hands apparently has to do with the new work. They are going to do something that no one's done before. They are going on a mission to the Gentiles. They are going to preach there and they are going to new territory, a completely new venture. So the group fasts together and prays together for God's help in the work. Turn the page to Acts 14, verse 21. Acts 14 and verse 21. At the end of that trip, as they go back through these cities that they have preached in, Acts 14, 21, when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. 
So as they go back and forth through these churches, through these cities, it says specifically in verse 23, they appointed elders for them, and with prayer and fasting they committed them to the Lord. That word committed, or yours might have commended, is a word that means to entrust someone to someone else's care. So the image is that Paul and Barnabas have been working with these people, and now they're ready for these churches to be sort of out of their care, and they commit them to the Lord. They give them back to Jesus. And he says, as they do that, they do it with prayer and fasting. They are asking God's help with these young churches, with these new believers, with these new elders. There is so little that Paul and Barnabas can do as they're halfway across the world. All they can do is say, Jesus will take care of you. And they pray and they fast as they ask God's help with that. Now, I want to be very clear that fasting in this sense is connected with prayer. It does not make us more spiritual to stop eating. But when we fast and pray, we are putting a strong emphasis on what we're asking We are saying we are serious. We need God's help. We want God's attention. We want our voice to be heard on high. So when I say why should Christians fast, Christians should fast to ask for God's help. What I am saying is we need God's help, you and me, in all kinds of ways. And fasting is a way we draw attention to our need. We need help in raising our kids. We need help in reaching the lost. We need help in overcoming our personal weaknesses. We need help in paying the bills and managing our money. We need help in letting go of the hurts that we have experienced. Those are occasions, those are needs that are perfectly appropriate for us to not just pray, but also fast, to have our voice heard on high as we say, God, I need this. Help me. It seems to me to be particularly appropriate, given what we've just read, for us to do that when our congregation makes a special effort, when we have a special work that we are doing, as we do from time to time throughout the year. It seems to me appropriate as we stand on the cusp of a great task. For example, when we learn that we're going to be parents, when we see that there is a major turning point in our lives when we have a tough decision to make and we need God's help or God's guidance, when we have a conversation that's going to be really tough and relationships might be sacrificed. These are times when we especially recognize our need for God. And fasting can help us because we're asking for God to help us. So I am not saying that fasting is a requirement. I am saying that fasting is a tool in our belt so that as we approach different situations in life, some things are so overwhelming Some situations are so desperate. Some things are so close to our heart that we say, I just can't say enough about it. I can't just ask once and then let it go. I need God. And fasting is a way we express that. The third thing I want to say, why Christians should fast, is to connect with God. These first two kinds that we've talked about have to do with occasions when fasting is an appropriate response. We're responding to something that's going on in life. But there are also some descriptions in Scripture, even in the New Testament, of regular fasting. Fasting that is done because at a certain time we've chosen to fast. Turn back a page to Acts 13. Acts 13, verse 2. We kind of glossed over this because we were trying to get to verse 3. But Acts 13 and verse 2 says, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, 
The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. The text says that they were worshiping, which is a word that implies public worship, regular worship. They were worshiping the Lord and fasting. The implication of that word is that either these teachers or the church itself was having a regular fast, fasting as part of its regular work. So, whatever you say about verse 2, you have to admit that regular fasting was a part of some Christians' work and worship. It was what some Christians were doing. Now, we, we can't say all Christians were doing this. We can't say they were doing it all the time. But it is a part of what they were doing to serve the Lord. That kind of regular fasting is mentioned by, about Anna. Do you remember Anna in Luke chapter 2? who it says she served the Lord with fasting in the temple night and day, fasting and prayer night and day, Luke 2.37. But even more compelling than that is that Jesus teaches his disciples how to fast. Go with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Jesus wants us to fast in a certain way. So this section in Matthew 6, the first 18 verses or so, are about not practicing your righteousness to be seen by men. So we are doing this for God and not for other people. But look at what he says in Matthew 6 and verse 16. Matthew 6 and verse 16, he says, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head, and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So he says, when you fast. By the way, when you fast implies that you're going to fast. His disciples were expected to fast. But he says, when you fast, don't fast the way other people do, to call attention to themselves. I, I just picture it going this way. You've probably heard me say something like this before, but it is the way I picture it. Boy, I sure am hungry. You want to know why? Because I've been fasting. You know, it, it's almost as if we can't help ourselves. We want to draw attention so that other people say, wow, look at Jacob. He fasts all the time. And Jesus says, don't do it to be seen by people. And so he says, don't, don't do different things to your body. You know, wear your hair a different way. Not take care of yourself because you're fasting. So that everybody will look at you and say, oh, he's especially righteous. He says, do everything you normally do. Because he says, look at verse 18, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. Don't let anyone know. Let it be about you and God. Just like when he talks about when you give, let it be about you and God. When you pray, let it be about you and God. When you fast, let it be about you and God. My question is, how could we think that fasting is not a part of our righteousness when Jesus says it is? when he puts it alongside things like giving and praying. But it does present a challenge to us, doesn't it? We don't live in ancient Israel. And what's going to look like when we fast in our modern time and our modern culture? People are going to think that we are weird. The only times in our culture when people fast are when they are dieting, or maybe when they're working so late and so hard that they don't get a chance to eat. Those are really the only two times when that's at all appropriate. So it seems to me 
even more important that we say when we fast, I'm not doing this for other people. I'm not doing it so they think I'm weird or think I'm normal. I'm not doing it for them at all. I'm doing it for God. So when we talk about regular fast, I say Christians should fast to connect with God. These are fasts that are not specific to certain situations in life. It's not about grief. It's not about sin. It's not about prayer that we need something special. It's just about having an opportunity for us to break the normal routine and focus on God. So how does it help us connect with God? Fasting helps us to put God's things first. How is it that we sometimes forget or don't get around to spiritual things? But we always get to our food. That our food never takes a backseat to anything. But God's things do. Isn't that precisely backward? Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. This is a way we do that. It humbles us because it reminds us, I don't have to eat. My eating, my comfort is not the most important thing. In fact, I think most powerfully, it connects us with God because it reminds us of our dependence on God. One of our greatest problems is that we fare sumptuously every day and we come to expect it. We eat fancy food all the time and don't notice. We waste food all the time and don't notice. And when we fast, we go back to what really matters, which is not my pleasure, but God providing. That's what food is supposed to be about. God providing for me so that I have what I need. And when I break the fast, I'm even more thankful for what God gives me on a regular basis that I might not notice when I never stop. In fact, it makes me wonder if God didn't make our body dependent on food just for that reason, just so that we always remember you are not self-sustaining. You are not good enough on your own. You need something else to keep you alive. Sometimes food just gets in the way of pursuing God's things. So can I ask you a question? Don't you have times where you wish you could connect more deeply to God? Don't you have times when you struggle to pray, struggle to read scripture, struggle to focus on things you know are the important things? Don't you have times where you feel overwhelmed and upset? Don't you have times where you feel out of control? Maybe out of control with your food, maybe out of control with your money, maybe out of control with your weight, maybe out of control with your time, maybe out of control with your emotions, but you feel like you are out of control. Fasting can help us because it pulls the reins on all of those things that call on us and says, I'm going to focus on God. So I believe that Christians should fast. I am not setting that as a requirement. Of course, I don't have the authority to do that. And fasting has to always come from a willing heart. It's not something that we can force on one another. But I believe there is a lot of good that comes from fasting. So the question that I was asked that precipitated this lesson is, is it appropriate for the church to fast? And to that I say an emphatic yes. We actually have good examples of that. Churches fasting. Now, it's up to the discretion of our leaders and what they decide, but I believe even fasting in small groups, a handful of us here or there, that would be perfectly appropriate and probably have good benefit, provided that we're not doing it to be seen by men. 
I think it's appropriate in times where we are seeking God in a special way or we're concerned about something for our congregation. I have to say, and I think you probably have noticed this as you've noticed the tone of the lesson so far, I am shocked by the amount of pushback that I have received when I have mentioned a biblical practice to Christians. People talk to me, and it has happened almost every time I've talked about it with Christians, as if they are way too good for that. We act as though we could never go without a meal, not even one. And I want to say this. As we live in the midst of a hugely materialistic and pleasure-driven culture, Christians should be the leaders in self-discipline. We should be the people others look to to say, you know what, everything else is spinning out of control, but they seem, they seem to be doing something right. And I believe that we're missing an opportunity here for testimony. Now, I'm not saying that we should be unhealthy. I understand some of us have health issues. I'm not saying be unhealthy. Uh, in fact, sometimes I'm, I'm often training for marathons. It's not always wise to fast when you're training for a marathon. There are things like that that I think are, are things to be taken into consideration. But outside some special health conditions, fasting is healthy. It's not something that's going to make us really, really sick. But I'm also saying I'm not encouraging fasting that's about weight loss or health things because that's not really biblical fasting. Biblical fasting is about appealing to God. It is spiritual in nature. It needs to be directed toward God. So you might ask, well, what, what kind of things are we talking about? There are lots of different things that you can do than call them fasting. The simplest thing, in my view, is simply to say, I'm going to forgo a meal. I'm going to devote a day to prayer. And as you feel those hunger pangs, as you hurt a little, Remember how many people in the world deal with that daily. Remember how much God has blessed you. As you feel those pains, take that pain to God. Our brother has talked a lot about suffering on the table. It's interesting to me that we seem to think that God has sent his son to suffer for us. And now we don't ever want to suffer in any way, even the slightest. We have that aversion to it. Whereas New Testament people, when they suffered, they connected it with the sufferings of Jesus. It seems to me that fasting is a way we can let a little bit of that pain in toward a good end to connecting with God and seeing our need for him. Remember how much God has done for you and blessed you. Remember how much you need him. Mourn over the things that are not right. Interrupt your life and reach out to God. I do believe Christians should fast. If you have more questions about that, I'll be happy to talk to you about it. Uh, But I hope that this will be something you'll think about and put into practice in your life. There might be someone here this morning who is ready to obey the gospel. We haven't talked this morning about what you need to do to become a child of God. But we have this time in our service set aside so that if there's anyone here who needs to make a need known to this group because you have something on your heart or that you're struggling with that you need our help with, either to pray with you or in some way to help you, This is a time where we're going to invite you to come down to the front and let us know about that. Or if there is someone here who is ready to become a Christian, to turn from their sins, to be baptized into Christ, to have their sins washed away, this is a time where you can let us know about that and we can make preparation to have you baptized this morning. You can leave this building a child of God, a new creature. If there is any need that you have, please come to the front as we stand and sing to encourage you.